GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. Fabian Picardo was re-elected Chief Minister almost eight weeks ago. And today he was in the studio for the first time since then to answer our listeners' questions. Let's uh, jump straight in, uh, Chief Minister, and uh, and ask you uh, a question from Michael, uh, who wants to know, uh, given the government's uh, sort of goal to of reducing traffic flow and, and trying to improve uh, the quality of our air. Why is it that there are no supermarkets in the South District? Good afternoon, and it's a pleasure to be with you on Direct Democracy again. As I indicated in September, I didn't know whether that might have been the last one or not, so it's a pleasure to have been entrusted with the pe- by the people of Gibraltar with government once again and to be able to be with you this afternoon. Well, there are supermarkets in the South District, as far as I understand. Um, there may not be a, a larger supermarket, and I think that's driven by the reality that a lot of our population lives in the North District. There's more and more people living in the South District. And it's a commercial issue whether a supermarket wishes to open in this area or not. Uh, I now live in the South District. There are a few uh, grocery stores um, and other amenities in the South District. Uh, But then again, the distances in Gibraltar are not great. And uh, we want to reduce car journeys. But we also have to understand that what we cannot do is create those retail amenities in Gibraltar ourselves. They have to be commercially driven. Um, and uh, you know, we continue to make space available in, in new harbours, etc. Uh, but the businesses that take them will be the businesses that consider that they can succeed in the area. And uh, we heard from Eroski last week that they have exchanged uh, on, on a lease uh, for what used to be Kobiran, uh, just next to uh, GBC. So soon That's there right. will be a larger, uh, if all goes to plan, a larger That's supermarket. Right. That's right. We, we agreed to that on the basis that we wanted to continue to have that retail facility there. Um, that's the supermarket I was referring to without wishing to, to name it for commercial reasons. Um, but if there isn't another one, then it, it's very difficult to bring it about. The fact that you're going to have an established uh, retailer bring its facilities here, I think, augurs well for the region. Okay, uh, Chief Minister, uh, Emilio, staying with the South District, Emilio asks, how will you develop Rosier Bay? Uh, he believes that there wasn't much detail in your manifesto on, on what you'll do there. Well, I've just become the constituency MP for the upper town, but I'm dealing more with South District issues than <laughs> anything else. It's a pleasure to do so, of course. Um, now, um, on Rosier Bay, there's a number of potential ways to develop that. We know that there are sometimes uh, projects that have been announced there that people have not taken to. We want to try and retain the the magic of Roger Bay. We want to ensure that we accentuate the historic issues that his, Roger Bay is known for and must be known for. But we also need to bring it back from where it is. At the moment, it's unkempt. It's, in my view, dangerous in some respects because of how the pier has been lost there. So Joseph Garcia is doing a lot of work on how that will develop. Um, it's his area of manifesto responsibility. Uh, and he's very keen, of course, as a historian to protect the historic aspects there too. We've spoken a lot to the people from uh, Nautilus and what they would like to and would not like to see there as well. Okay, we're going to go to a question from Linda and she's called this one in. What is the current situation between the Spain and Gibraltar Treaty? Fabian Picardo? So, you know, uh, because we announced it, that yesterday we continued to have 
uh, discussions with Spanish and uh, UK colleagues on the uh, UK Gibraltar Spain issues that relate to the EU UK treaty. And, and Linda has referred to the, the Gibraltar Spain treaty. There will not be a Gibraltar Spain treaty. There will be a UK and EU treaty on the relationship between Gibraltar and the European Union. Yeah, I'm very happy to tell you that yesterday our talks are very uh, positive and productive, although still tough in some respects um, and I hope that we'll be able to see the progress that we all want to see as soon as possible. I'm not going to uh, subject myself to a timeline. I think that subjecting ourselves to a timeline is not helpful but there are already uh, obvious dates in the horizon which we have to be very alive to. Cedric asks um, why do EU nationals come into Gibraltar with ID cards instead of passports? Uh, he thinks that uh, if we are a third country now uh, that a passport should be used in the same way as if somebody goes to Morocco. Well, what we're doing is we're working on the basis of reciprocity and Gibraltars are being, Gibraltarians are being allowed into Spain on the strength of their identity card. And on that basis, our passports are not stamped and we are asked to have our passports with us only in the event that we were to have an accident or we were to travel beyond Spain, perhaps inadvertently, uh, because you might decide to go to Spain today, but you might end up in an ambulance going to somewhere else in the European Union. Uh, and so when we did our agreement with the Spanish authorities, we agreed that the Gibraltar ID card would be what would get us into Spain without being stamped. And in exchange for that and dealing with the issue on the basis of reciprocity, we require Spaniards who come into Gibraltar, EU nationals who come to Gibraltar to have their ID cards, but not their passports because they cannot travel beyond Gibraltar without a passport. If you're in Gibraltar and you want to go to Morocco in the ferry or you want to go to the UK on a flight, you would need to have your passport. You would have to bring your passport yourself. So we're dealing with this strictly on the basis of reciprocity. Uh, and that is how I ask people to understand what it is that we've done. And I suppose re reciprocity depends to a certain extent on there being goodwill. Um, and we've seen the Policia Nacional say that they'll be carrying out more stringent checks on third-party nationals crossing the frontier with Gibraltar. Uh, in a report in the Spanish media, Spanish police were quoted as saying that they'd identified many hotel reservations being presented as a reason for travel were then found to be uh, fraudulent or dishonest, suggesting that people were making a book printing off that booking and then cancelling the booking but presenting it as a reason for travel at the frontier. Uh, under the current rules, Gibraltar residents who don't hold a red ID card uh, must provide a proof of their reason for, for the visit to Spain. Uh, so, Chief Minister, can I ask you firstly to, to comment on, on, on the frustration of blue ID card holders and also on whether you think that that situation uh, could undermine goodwill at the frontier? No, I, I, don't, I don't agree with the basic premise of your question because I don't believe that the Spanish authorities uh, have the right to insist that people should have a hotel reservation or a flight booking to travel uh, into Spain. Uh, that is one of the things, one of the elements of evidence that the Schengen regulation says the Spanish authorities or Schengen authorities can use as an example for individuals to be able to demonstrate why they're going into the Schengen area. Um, but this does not just affect blue ID card holders. Uh, again, I take issue with your question in that respect. It affects 
all non-red ID card holders. And, I, and you mustn't for one moment forget those who have uh, green ID cards, um, or and we call them ID cards, they are not ID cards. There is only one identity card, and that is the red ID card. Everything else is a residence permit. It has the same shape and look as uh, the ID card, but it is actually a residence permit. And, and the reason I'm asking you to, to understand that is because, of course, a lot turns on that in the context of crossing the frontier. Now, it's become very clear to me that there has been a desire to create a difference, a rift between different colours of residence card holders and red ID card holders. And what we have to do, and what is real leadership in this case, is to ensure that we don't fall into the trap if one is being set for us and, and of who, throwing our choice out of the pram. setting that trap? I'm not going to speculate, because if, but I'm not saying that there is a trap. But if there is a trap, one of the elements of those who might be setting a trap is that we, they might want us to throw our toys out of the pram, which might lead to the undoing of the benefit that red ID card holders have today as we cross the frontier. And what we have to do is resolve this issue for blue ID card, for blue for blue residence card holders for magenta residence card holders and green id card holders and or residence card holders and for red id card holders by doing a treaty that enables us to have that free and uh, fluidity between gibraltar and the schengen space now we can spend our time analyzing this and take our eye off the ball agreeing the long-term solution uh, and we mustn't do that we must be careful about how we deal with this we must be empathetic with blue id card sorry blue residence card holders magenta residence card holders and green residence card holders assist them in so far as we can but also recognize that you are now entering an immigration area which you have no right to enter but you are entitled to seek to enter it without a visa and legitimizing that you can sustain yourself whilst you're there. And I must say, I think that the Spanish authorities are failing to, in some instances, properly understand what the test is for entry into Schengen and that we are not seeing those problems arising in respect of entry into the Schengen space by British citizens through other entry points into Schengen. Are you making representations to them? Of course we are. Uh, there's a question from Hector about uh, whether there are any developments in respect of travel insurance for uh, people who are elderly and who cannot obtain such insurance due to their condition of health. Yes, indeed. I've seen uh, the detailed work that has been done by Nigel Featham. There's now a paper that he's developed which is leading him to be able to conclude the arrangements as we indicated during the course of the general election. Um, that, I think, will be something on which he will very soon be making an announcement. He has worked, uh, as you would expect with Nigel, every hour available in order to be able to deliver in the timescale that we indicated during the course of the general election campaign. Now the question from Michael on ID cards is, why does it take so long to qualify for a red ID card? Uh, he says that uh, permanent residents with a magenta civilian registration card are not being treated very courteously at the frontier uh, these days. And he says, what's the rationale or precedent for waiting more than five years to obtain your red ID card? So perhaps, Chief Minister, you can uh, clarify what the criteria are. Well, let's be very clear, that's a shortened criteria from the one that we've applied in the past, which used to be 10 years. Uh, and it's very likely that we may have to revert 
that to 10 years because what we're talking about is that the red ID card in effect makes you registered as a Gibraltarian and therefore enables you to vote in referenda. And we've always been very jealous to ensure that anybody who votes in referenda in Gibraltar is somebody who is committed to Gibraltar. And we've always believed politically across the board that that required either 20 years of residence or 10 years of residence. And the change only happened in 2002 when we were dealing with the joint sovereignty referendum that the eligibility to vote was reduced to 10 years and therefore following that the ability to obtain the red ID card um, as it's colloquially known are followed but we will not need to have any particular color of residence card or ID card if we're able to do the a treaty between the United Kingdom and the European Union, which relates to that fluidity across the frontier. I understand that there's frustration here, and I understand that this is taking longer than expected, but people should understand that in the negotiation, Joseph Garcia and I and the, the people who have been in government with us and who are in government with us now are not going to do a quick deal that somehow requires us to make a concession on sovereignty, jurisdiction or control, and therefore would render such a treaty not safe, not secure and not beneficial to Gibraltar. So we're always going to continue negotiating until we have the right uh, uh, deal on the table that we can sign up to. And if there is, therefore, a problem which is affecting those of different colour residence card, I have to ask them to bear with us, to understand that we're making representations to try and solve those issues even before. And I have always said, and I say it in public as much as I say it in private, that anybody who thinks that putting pressure on the government of Gibraltar or the people of Gibraltar is going to produce a result that is going to mean that we're going to buckle under that pressure. They have to realize that that is not going to work. Whilst goodwill goes a long way with us, pressure just puts our backs up. In order to help us understand where we are with the treaty, Chief Minister, um, let me recap some of the things that have been said in recent months, that we are 99.9% uh, of the way there, uh, that uh, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. Uh, and uh, we heard the governor say last week that he hoped that at least an in-principle agreement could be obtainable by Christmas. Do you identify with that, uh, um, sort of, you know, um, we hope that it might be possible to achieve it by Christmas? Well, uh, God bless thee, merry gentlemen. It's Christmas time. Of course, there's goodwill at that time. Of course, everybody wants to achieve it in that time. You know, David Steele is talking uh, for all of us when he says that we hope to see that timetable complied with. I mean, the people around the table yesterday uh, in Malaga have all become, you know, at a personal level, uh, quite friendly. Uh, but we're sick of seeing each other to talk. We want to so, see each other to, to sign. Is it know? realistic then that we can get there before uh, well, Christmas? No, I'm not going to put any timeline on the table simply because um, I believe that there are now uh, likely to be objective uh, criteria which are going to move the chronology in the direction of agreement on non-agreement and we mustn't be imposing any ourselves based on wanting to do it by a particular time although David's absolutely right His Excellency the Governor is absolutely right that we would hope to be able to move things forward in some way by Christmas if we can uh, but we hoped to do it before last Christmas um, and before last Easter you'll recall uh, but objective uh, problems get in the way like general elections that have to be uh, dealt with in, in different jurisdictions. Uh, can the differences on the airport be, um, you know, uh, dealt with and, and a compromise found? Look, I, I've never commented on what the issues are and what the difficulties may or may not be, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to rise to that very gentle way of you trying to get me to implicitly accept um, any of the aspects that that question would, uh, would have answered, uh, in effect, have me confirm.
We've had we've heard other parties close to the negotiation mention the airport, namely obviously the uh, Spanish foreign minister, but I believe also the governor has mentioned them. Yes. <laughs> okay, um, but no comment from from you. No, because I look at the, I understand. Not, not because I don't you, want to tell you, and not, not because I'm not transparent and accountable, etc. But because if I felt that it was in the interest of the people of Gibraltar for me to give you any of that detail, you would have it. I have to. Uh, keep it to myself at this time because I think it's in the interest of the people of Gibraltar that I do and that I that I emerge from the negotiations with Joseph um, and with the support of my cabinet with a solution that we put before you and we say is safe and secure and we explain why we say it's safe and secure and why it's beneficial. Um, if I were to tell you a blow by blow of the negotiations, look, of course people would have said to me, you know, don't tolerate that this has been said. Get up and go at different times and, and perhaps that might have been said also to the other parties who are attending the negotiation about some of the things that we have said because restating our positions um, is an important part of course of how uh, everybody understands their positions in the negotiation so so i ask you please now that we are i think either in the final stages of success or in the death throes of this negotiation either one way or the other uh, to give us just this final space um, where we make the announcement of what is agreed or we explain why nothing can be agreed William wants to ask about Gibraltar's old age pension. Uh, he says that uh, they are among the lowest in Europe. Uh, the UK's state pension will be raised by 8.5% next year. Uh, when are the Gibraltar state pensions going to be raised to what William says would be a decent level to alleviate the suffering that William says many pensioners uh, are, um, are experiencing, in particular with the current high cost of living? So if you look at how the state pension has gone up in the time that I've been in government, it's gone up by more than it's ever gone up before. Uh, you might say, well, that's fine, but if you're raising it from a particularly low threshold, then it's not going to be going up enough. This year, the state pension was one of the few things that went up by the full cost of living. So I'm very conscious of the fact that people who are on the state pension needed to have the full cost of living increase, and they did have that full cost of living increase in the last budget. I'm committed to always ensuring that those pensions have the full cost of living increase, whilst in the context of occupational pensions in the government, they've gone up only by 2% this year, which is what the law provides. So I'm alive to this issue, but it's an issue that we also have to put in context. It is also equally true that the social insurance contribution in Gibraltar is the lowest in Europe. So you may have the lowest pension in Europe, state pension in Europe, but you also make the lowest contribution in the whole of Europe, allowing you, of course, to also make provision for yourself by buying a product that will give you a pension when you're older. Additionally, if you're a Gibraltar resident, an independent charity community care gives you a household cost allowance, which pushes the amount that you have, if you calculated per month, a little closer to the mean European a state pension amount that you have. But of course, the independent charity only pays that to residents of Gibraltar, not to all of those who would be entitled to a state pension in Gibraltar, which are a huge number of people, given the number of frontier workers that we have had, not just from Spain, in Gibraltar in the past 30 years of common membership of the European Union, making the bill for putting the state pension up by one penny, a huge bill for every taxpayer in Gibraltar, as a result of the reach of our state pension. It's not just in respect of those who live in Gibraltar. It's of the many hundreds of thousands of people who, who have qualify for a state pension in Gibraltar and who have elected to have the Gibraltar state pension element in the pension that and, they receive. And we know that there's a churn of those workers. It's not the same. Exactly. For example, but once 15, they've worked 000. here for the qualifying period, 
then they're entitled to at least one third of their pension being from Gibraltar. Now, that has gone away after our membership of the European Union lapsing when we left in 2020. Uh, But we still have the many hundreds of thousands of people who've worked here in the 30 years that we've been members of the European Union. So when you put the state pension up by one pound, it's not for the 20,000 pensioners who are in Gibraltar that's going up by one pound. It's going up much more than that. So I hope I'm giving you the flavour of why we're doing it in the way that we're doing it. OK, we've got a question that's come in on the phones from Douglas. The men are still waiting for the equalisation of pensionable age between men and women. Uh, we've been waiting for this now for a long time. You've promised a white paper. The white paper hasn't come. Uh, your elections have come and gone and you still keep on promising and, and nothing is being delivered. Uh, when can we expect uh, an equalisation in the pensionable age between men and women? Mr. Picardo. So I, I think we've been clear. I think, in fact, I think we did publish the white paper. Um, the, the white paper has not become law is uh, quite another. Um, but we, we've been very explicit during the course of the general election campaign on what the timings will be and how we'll do it. Of course, this is dependent, as we've explained before, on the final provisions that we are able to enter into in respect of this new treaty with the European Union or not entering into it. If there isn't a treaty, then we are freer to be able to reform our legislation in the way that we've proposed. Um, I think during the course of general election campaign, Joe Bosano was particularly clear about what the issues were. I think in a programme chaired by you or by Ross, forgive me, but uh, there were so many of those uh, programmes as we set out our stall and we're going to comply with the commitments that we acquired during the course of the general election campaign. Okay, I've got another question coming in, this one from Charles. This past Friday, uh, I was in a trip that we went for three days to Torre Molinos on a coach and half of the people had their pink uh, ID cards uh, stamped. This is not a question, just uh, see what the minister has to comment. Thank you. Um, so um, the, the, the ID card is not capable of being stamped. I assume that uh, what, uh, what Charles is saying is that those with red ID cards had their passports stamped. Um, yeah, of course, Torremonis is in Malaga. I mean, some suggest that uh, passports are stamped if you're leaving the area of the Campo that, de That's what Cadiz. the Guardiaville apparently told this group, that yeah. they were going beyond the Campo. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, you know, in some instances, what I would say is this. Um, having your passport stamped simply regularizes your position in the European Union uh, in case something goes wrong. Um, we have uh, an undertaking from the Spanish government not to stamp the passports of Gibraltarians, or rather of those with red identity cards, um, when they are travelling in the immediate vicinity and in Spain. If you're going to travel beyond, then look, there is no harm in having your passport stamped. But of course, you have the advantage that it's not stamped regularly. Uh, and again, I just revert to what I said to you earlier. The important thing here is to move beyond this period into a period when either we have the certainty that we have freedom of movement between uh, Gibraltar and the Schengen area because of a common travel area agreement between us and the Schengen space, or we have the clarity that we ha- are not going to have such an agreement and we know that we, when we travel into the Schengen travel area, whether we travel in through Spain um, at the, the La Linea frontier with Gibraltar or entering the Schengen travel area anywhere else, 
will have our passport stamped and we can't be there for more than 90 and 180 days. We're in the process of finalising this. Let's not concentrate on the interim arrangements. Let's concentrate on the final arrangements. And let's hope that we can deliver the ones that we think are positive and in the interest of Gibraltar. We've heard in recent weeks, Chief Minister, that uh, recent days, that the Gibraltar census is pointing to a population increase um, and that the population of Gibraltar, as, as measured last year, is now 38,000 people, which uh, I suppose is a significant increase in services and uh, speaks to the challenges ahead for health, housing, uh, education, um, power uh, generation. We have an increasingly growing population. We've planned for that in terms of power generation. Our our power station is designed to be able to provide for up to 80,000 people. In the context of health, we know that yeah, the more people are in Gibraltar, the more people contribute to the group practice medical scheme, the more of a liability that we have to provide health services to them. We have an outstanding service that we provide in the health authority for the 38,000, if that is the final conclusion, um, number of residents of Gibraltar and for those who work in Gibraltar who are also entitled to health care in Gibraltar. You look at our waiting lists compared to UK waiting lists, they are really remarkable and superb and a testament to the work that is being done by Jamar Adias Vasquez and the work that has been done by Alba Disola, Samantha Sacramento, Paul Valvan, uh, Neil Costa uh, and John Cortez. Please God I've mentioned all of my ministers for health and haven't <laughs> forgotten any and are not offended none, but they have done an incredible job, in particular in the post-COVID period of you know, restarting and recovering the GHA, which is not 100% there yet. But in schooling, for example, we are already planning for additional schools to come in the future, potentially on the east side as we see all of that area build out. Gibraltar is growing and Gibraltar has to grow. And the more we grow, the more revenue that we have and the more revenue that we have, the more outgoings that we have. Um, and I think that I've been criticised for spending, but the spending has been done in the right way in order to be able to provide for this growing population the services that we, as a socialist administration with Liberal colleagues, believe we should be providing for our population. Uh, on, on the subject of healthcare, uh, in August, the Health Authority invested in additional resources to tackle dental services, uh, waiting lists for children, um, and uh, we're hoping to do so within five months. It's been uh, about uh, four months since then. Uh, what progress has been made? And, and uh, I, I give you an opportunity to speak to uh, a, a conversation that I saw unfolding online uh, among parents who were promised an appointment within 30 days they were made that promise two days before the election by the health authority and uh, a lot of people were saying, I haven't yet been contacted with my promised appointment. Well, I'm surprised at that because I know a lot of people who have been contacted with their promised appointments who got in touch with me to say, magnificent, you said this was going to be fixed. It is being fixed. I will take that away as an action point. If you could send me a screenshot of uh, that social media no commentary, I will uh, I will follow it up immediately with uh, Gemma Diaz-Vasquez, who I know is very keen to see, in particular where we're providing healthcare to our young people and preventive healthcare, which is what we do with dental services in particular, uh, that we should be completely on the ball and delivering directly against our manifesto commitments. The Ombudsman's report uh, recommends that there be more administrative staff under a slimmer management layer in government departments and agencies. Ron Corum said that so that the government could tackle the growing lack of communication and inaction in respect of complaints made. Uh, 372 were received by his office last year. 312 of those were related to government services. Uh, given that that's fairly recent, have you got a, a comment to make on, on those recommendations? 
recommendations. Well, I've read Ron's recommendations. I think it's very helpful that as ombudsman, he's not just looking at the problems and how to fix the individual problems that are brought to his attention, but also looking at what we might call the 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 paradigm problem that there may be and how he is seeing commonality in some of the issues that are being referred to him. Um, I'm very interested in pursuing this issue, but it has to be pursued in conversation with the unions. And 312 complaints is almost one a day arising, Ron thinks, from this issue. So we need to be able to get better at communicating. We need to be able to do that in a way that is modern. And I think we're doing that already much more efficiently in our e-government services. As those improve, I hope people will want less of that personal contact. I can tell you that I was very concerned to see queues outside of the tax office with people queuing outside of the tax office and wanted to understand what was happening. 95% of the people queuing outside of the tax office are non-Gibraltar residents, most of them Spanish workers who cannot interact with us on an e-government basis because of language. Um, and so the, the issues are many and varied, uh, but understanding why uh, the Ombudsman has been able to identify a common thread in respect of some of the complaints to him. And resolving that commonality may enable us to provide a much better service to those of our resident citizens who are looking to engage with parts of the public sector that are presently not responding as we would all wish to see. OK, I've got a couple of questions on housing, Chief Minister, just uh, uh, last five minutes or so. Uh, Grace asks, um, she says, I've been on, I've, uh, I've been 10 years uh, waiting on, on the housing waiting list and I've been played around uh, and, uh, and another Christmas comes and I'm in the same situation. When will solutions uh, for Gibraltar's housing problems uh, be delivered? And uh, John asks, similarly, uh, when, what timelines uh, will the government uh, deliver the promised new housing stock too? So during the course of the past uh, general election campaign, we were very clear about saying we're going to build general housing stock, pensioner housing stock, that's rental, and affordable housing in the traditional 50-50 or plus percentage model, super affordable housing for first-time purchases at less than 100,000, and that we were also going to deliver pensioner Um, affordable housing. That comes, as I said during the course of the general election campaign, to about 3,000 units that we need to deliver. And I've committed that we're going to deliver that during the lifetime of this parliament. We're looking at how we can ensure that we have the land available to build those on so that they are completed in the lifetime of this parliament. We're hoping to be able to deliver some of those units even earlier than people might expect. We hope that that starts to Uh, undo the logjam that we are suffering as a result of the year and a half, almost two years when we could do nothing as a result of COVID. Um, And that, I hope, will mean that people start to see the results uh, as soon as uh, we are reasonably able to. Now, um, sometimes I hear people who complain about issues relating to housing, but as I said in Parliament the other day, and I'm not suggesting this is the case in respect of these two cases. I, I don't know the detail of these two cases. But, for example... One of the cases that we were referring to in Parliament, which was about the medical A-plus list, was an individual who had waited, I think from memory, since 2013 or 2016. That individual had had an offer made to them in 2018 or 19 and had refused the offer. So it's not that housing were not providing a home. Again, because it's a medical A-plus list, housing would have ensured that it complied with the requirements set out by the medical practitioners before making the offer. Now, individuals might, for very good reason, I'm not suggesting there was a bad reason, but for very good reason, say, look, that property doesn't work for us. 
So again, not making a comment about that case, but I have seen some cases where people have come to see me where they think that they can treat the housing department almost as if it were an estate agency. I haven't wanted to accept that one because it doesn't have a sea view. It's not on a high floor or it's not on a ground floor and I would like it in the South District. Look, sometimes people have good reasons for that. You might be claustrophobic. You might have all your family in the South District and you're at work and you need to help you taking or collecting the children but, from but school. Those individuals are setting the bar almost unrealistically but, high. But exactly the case. Where we can help, we do help even in those circumstances. But you know, the, the privilege of having government rental accommodation is one that people need to understand is not something that's available in most places. We're going to provide even more of that accommodation. We're going to break the back of the housing waiting list and with the 3,000 units that we're going to build. By the time that I leave office, I think Gibraltar will have almost no, or at least no housing problem that is any way reminiscent of the housing problem that we have had for many generations and which we were well on the way to resolving except that we had to stop building for two years because of COVID or stop granting new contracts, etc., to build because of COVID, which really stood in our way. Two last questions, if I may, Chief Minister, and I'll ask you to be brief, if you can, uh, to be able to fit them in, or fairly brief. Um, uh, you've confirmed that you're not going to stand again at another general election. Um, as will, leader. As, as leader of uh, the party, OK. Uh, will that change how you govern for this uh, last term as leader? Could you, for example, do things that may be in the public interest, you think, but potentially uh, difficult politically, Would you know, and, and you would accept the hit for them, potentially? Let me, let me misquote Margaret Thatcher. Remember she used to say, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes is the answer. I think Gibraltar needs, in some instances to be told certain things that the person who is seeking re-election might not feel comfortable saying. Uh, And I am now really in a position to be able to say, I've got the G1 t-shirt, you know, I've done that job, and I now want to be very clear and explicit with the people of Gibraltar. And I started in 2019 on that basis because I wasn't going to stand in 2023, as you know. Um, But then COVID happened four months later. I said the age of entitlement is over. Um, We then went into a situation, ironically, where we sent everybody home their pay, even if they didn't go to work. Um, But yes, I'm very much in that frame of mind. And I think Gibraltar is too. I think Gibraltar understands that we're at the stage in the development of uh, the economies of the whole world where there is just so much that you can have for free and that people need to take responsibility rather than assume entitlement. And uh, Chief Minister, we've, we've heard you talking about housing and, and the challenges posed with a, with a growing population. The nursing home at Rook was due to be open this past summer, which makes it about six months delayed. When is it going to open and is it uh, too soon to know if, despite those delays, if the new construction method has worked um, in respect of, for example, cost? Well, it's not a new construction method. You saw this method of construction deployed um, at the time of Euro Towers and JIP5, which is the sort of prefab. This was actually bringing in the the container, which is the room. That is how the Holiday Inn Express was built. It's very successful. The delays are not occasioned by the method of building, but by us wanting to calibrate uh, how that was done by the uh, independent entity that's contracting with us on this. Uh, But I will expect to make an announcement um, about Rook or see an announcement made about Rook very soon um, and I think it's going to be a very positive announcement in respect of various aspects of social policy in Gibraltar. Uh, more or less, when will it open? Well, at, the, at this stage, I don't want to be drawn further because um, what I am telling you is that the announcement uh, about 
uh, will deal with different areas of social policy, not just that which might be expected. All right, Chief Minister, we're out of time, but um, uh, in, in just one or two words, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling and looking forward to finishing what I've started on the treaty negotiations. Um, and it's going to be a very different Christmas for me, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward uh, to continuing to lead this community, which is the privilege that voters have afforded me for the lifetime of this parliament and the time that my party wants. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2 getting behind the headlines and you can catch up here whenever you like until next time have a good one gbc podcasts local voices on demand